Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are today at uh, Project Quantum Leap for another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. We thank you again for joining us. Um, We're going to be talking about the Americanization of Mexico. Um, This episode was directed by Gilbert Shilton, who also directed... Two episodes in a row. That's right. Um, Disco Inferno from last week. uh, He, uh, yeah, directed Disco Inferno. It was written by Charlie Coffey. Uh, this is his only episode, apparently, um, that he wrote of Quantum Leap. The air date was October the 11th, 1990. Um, 1989. 1989, excuse me. Why did I... Man, that's the second time I've, I've screwed up a date recently. Anyway... Uh, which means something in a time travel show, let's face it. <laughs> yes. So, uh, uh, air date, October the 11th, 1989. The leap date is August 4th, 1953, and Sam is left into Charlie McKenzie. Mm-hmm. In um, Oak Creek, Ohio. Thank you very much, Dennis. Would you like to uh, read our TV guide description of the week here? Thank you very much. Yes. Let's, let's see what TV guide has to say. Sam, Scott Bakula, leaps into a sailor returning home with a Japanese Japanese wife whose presence makes waves in the small town. Mm, mm, mm. Somebody, somebody sold died a little bit when they wrote that. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, TV when, guide. I'm I, sorry, writers of TV guide. I mean, the, but seriously, seriously, think about it. At one point in time, like that was a job that somebody had. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? Oh, I write copy for TV guide. Oh, that sounds interesting. Like, imagine, imagine you live in like. New York or California or wherever the hell that was produced in like 1985 and you're at a bar one night and you're sitting down having your drink, you know, and somebody saddles up next to you and they're just, you know, starting a conversation and maybe you're interested in them, maybe they're a little interested in you and then all of a sudden you start exchanging jobs and you're like, I write copy for TV Guide and it's like, oh, that could have been a door opener. You never know. It could have been. In 1985. Sure. In 2017. Even now, I mean, TV Guide still exists. (laughs) I just don't. I just don't pick it up. I'm well, sure they still do similar. Although I think I they read have a some, channel now. I think I read some years ago, like they were seriously cutting back on the actual like TV listings part of, of the print magazine, and the, the print magazine was mostly more about like stories and articles, yes, cheers right. and jeers. Uh, oh God, cheers it, and jeers! It, is that a column that still goes wow. on? I don't know. I know Entertainment Weekly has something very similar to that. They've got like their hot and cold thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, because the oh the horoscopes and they used to have crossword puzzles. TV Guide, man. Yeah, stroll down memory lane. Another shout out. I think we go on on TV Guide tangent almost every episode. Can now. you believe anyway. that it was founded in 1948? Although the it first issue didn't come out until 1953. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I guess it's because oh because they were. It was a male-only thing. Oh, okay. But they didn't actually have their first issue proper until 53. Interesting. And apparently, here's something that's also kind of interesting. They're owned by CBS. Hmm. 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 That's interesting. It is interesting. Anyway, <laughs> so there's a TV guide description. So Sam, as he so eloquently says in the opening moments, 
he has he I'm is Popeye. he's leapt into Popeye. He he gets off a bus and um uh he is he is in a a sailor's outfit and he is given his his bag and he is clearly coming home. home. Yeah, yeah. he's clearly arriving home. Yeah, and and the I will say that um because honestly, I don't feel like I have a lot to say about this episode, which mm. is rare for me. Because clearly, I have a lot to say about a lot of this things. This is going to end up being our longest episode ever. <laughs> but but uh, I will say that production value wise, um, this the scene is set very well. Mm. We get that we're in small town America. That he's coming home, like you know, that you just get that sense from mm. from what we're seeing um, right off the bat. Mm. I do love his vibe. I love the the voiceover, like. You know, normally anybody would be thrown off, but I've learned to use my detective skills. You know, he looks at his bag, he looks at his uniform, he hunches over an old man reading the newspaper, and he's able to get the the date, which I'll note is four days before his actual That's right before his actual birthday. He's alive in there, yeah, in, he's, the, in the womb. Yeah, you know? he, he he's is just waiting, waiting sure, to make his interest, just hanging out, ready to go. But anyway, so he very quickly is uh, picked up by his father, Henry McKenzie. Played by Wayne Tippett, mm-hmm. who did a stint on the Rockford Files, among many other things. Absolutely. Of course he did. Oh, James <laughs> Gardner. Another connection to James Gardner is the title of this episode, The Americanization of Machiko, is That's a right. play on the title of The Americanization of Emily, starring James Gardner. And Julie Andrews. And Julie Andrews. And both characters... Both James Garner's character and Sam's character in this episode was named Charlie. I did not know that. Or Charles. Nice. Yes. Nice. And the writer of this episode is named... Is Charlie. Is named... Charlie, Charlie. Coffee. Yeah. So, three cheers to Charles all yeah. around. But anyway, so Henry picks up uh, Sam and quickly whisks him away off home. And as soon as he gets whisked away, a Japanese woman in a kimono, she gets off the bus, gets her luggage... And she calls after Charlie, and it's very clear to everyone except for Sam, who is now gone. But Sam has accidentally, for all his detective skills... Nice fucking detective work. <laughs> yeah, great, great work. Uh, sorry. He, he just ran off and, and left somebody behind. His new wife. Yes. Who has never been in Ohio mm-hmm. or the country before, really, other than the trip it took to get to Ohio. So, yeah. Here. I mean, what a, what a piece of crap. Oh, <laughs> Sam, 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 Sam. But anyway, so we go into the opening credits, and we come back. Uh, Sam and his dad, Henry, they're riding along. Sam has this, one of those nice little monologues, how he feels like he's not back home in Indiana. Yeah. But, but he still feels... Very much, very much at home. Right. You get this insight. Like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. This one's not going to be so hard. Mm-hmm. Such as it is. Right. And then we cut away. We are introduced to Lenore and Naomi. Lenore is played by Kay Callen, uh, who outside of this is probably, well, I mean, not outside of this, probably much more known as playing Martha Kent on. Lois and Clark, the new adventures of right. Superman, and she, you know, she's someone uh, uh, who has, uh, much like a lot of the guest stars on the show, uh, a lot of work, a lot of work, starting mm-hmm. in like 1970. You know, it's it's certainly any character over the age of about 40 that we've seen in the show so far 
that's just kind of their MO. You know, mm-hmm. they've had a lot of work starting in the late sixties, early seventies, and they've done a lot of TV. Um, and she's another one, you know, we were talking about on, uh, our last episode, uh, a bit about a couple of the actors and how they have continued working. She's continued working right up until the day. She's, she's in Veep, you know, she's, uh, oh, okay. a recurring character on Veep. She, she was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy this past season. She's, you know, so, I mean, she's still working all the time. It's funny because one of the ways that I recognized her, I didn't make the Martha Kent uh, connection mm-hmm. right away. Uh, it, it took IMDB to refresh my memory, but I knew I recognized her and I was like, where do I recognize her from? And then it dawned on me, uh, she, she's in an episode of Justified, which is arguably one of the finest television shows ever forged as far as I'm concerned. I watched the first season of that show and just because of timing and other stuff going on in my life, I never continued on after that, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think she's in the last season. She plays, uh, one of the characters that gets introduced, um, in like the third season, I think she, or second season maybe. Uh, but she plays her, her grand aunt and she's like the last living relative that this character has. So she gets sent to like live with her. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a fantastic show and she was in that, but it's just kind of cool to see that here's someone that's been working for the past damn near 50 years, Mm -hmm. you know, and almost exclusively in television, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's like, wow, that's, you put together one hell of a career there, ma'am. Yeah. So good for you. That's awesome. (laughs) And then we have Naomi played by Elena Wool. Any information on her? Uh, not much actually. I mean, she, she's definitely done some stuff, but did not seem to have quite the, um, um, resume as some of the other people. Um, you know, Quantum Leap seems to be not the first thing that she did. She was on a show called Buck James playing Dinah James. So I can only imagine that she was like the, the wife. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, and so that sounds like, I feel like we should clarify because sometimes we, we make comments in episodes about actors who made it with a long career or actors who only popped up in a couple of things. Uh, I never want to give off the impression that we're coming off as derogatory. God, no. Because I, you know, speaking as, you know, two actors who probably at one point had aspirations of being up on stage giving like an Oscar acceptance speech. Yeah. Acting is so much, trying to make it in the, in the, in the film, uh, just entertainment industry in general. It is so much like playing the lottery that becoming famous or not or having a long career or not oftentimes has very little to do with skill and oftentimes very much to do with luck. When, I just want to say that because I never want to come across like we're being derogatory yeah. towards, towards actors who... And even and even people that are somewhat successful, if, even for a time, to look at someone and say that that is your job or was your job, it, if you're not on screen, if you're not accepting an Oscar, most people are like, I don't get it. You know, there aren't a lot of people out there that, I mean, certainly living in a bigger city like Chicago, it's a hell of a lot easier to say that. And people are like, oh, okay, because it's, it's such a huge town for, for stage. And, well, sure. and, and yeah. you know, so you're not, you know, you're not necessarily going to recognize everybody. Uh, but, but yeah, when I lived in Indianapolis and I was legitimately working as a professional actor, it's how I made my living. If I were to say that to just somebody that didn't know me, you know, and wasn't in that scene, a lot of times it's like, how do you, have you been in any movies? Have you, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like no, no, I, but I, but I collect yeah. a paycheck every week mm-hmm. because I get up on stage and say words mm-hmm. and you know, that's, that's, yeah, that's the definition. It, yeah, the, the, the one time I actually <laughs> made my full time living as an actor, like the couple year stretch. Yeah. yeah. They were, they were also uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky and uh, Newport, Kentucky places where 
if I say I'm an actor to give me some weird looks, here in Chicago, people are just like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So are 10 other people that I know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yes, anytime that we, yeah, anytime that we talk about the length of somebody's IMDb page, we're not trying to poo-poo any of their success at all because, I mean, let's face it, at the end of the day, you know, Naomi, or, or excuse me, uh, Elena here did an episode of, of Quantum Leap, amongst mm-hmm. other things, because she did actually do a lot of things. She's like on NYPD Blue, Mad About You, Seinfeld. So, you know, she, she, she had a stretch of work there in the 90s in particular. Uh, was also on Civil Wars. That show pops up again. Yes, it was on last week's last episode. Week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway. So anyway, we're introduced to these two characters, and we get an idea that, uh, that yeah, that Charlie, the person that Sam has leaped into, mm-hmm. he is returning home after two years. Uh, Naomi has waited for him, and Lenore throws out, well, from what I hear, you didn't exactly wait. Yeah. And uh, Naomi takes that and just, just takes that in stride. It's like, well, I meant, like, wait to get married. She's not embarrassed by that. No. Uh, by that implication at all. Um, she, she's a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but just not only the character specifically, but just her presence in the episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there is this nice moment where uh, Lenore questions Naomi where she got these flowers and that they're full of bugs and you're supposed to you're supposed to shake them out. And that mm-hmm. that's a moment that gets called back later on. Uh, but that's when uh, Sam and Henry pull up and they are immediately uh, greeted. And Naomi is obviously like she is ready to pick right up oh, yeah. where, where they the left on off. my finger, let's go. Where they, where they left off two years ago. Um, and there is this uh, nice embarrassing moment where she is now a, a brunette, where apparently she was a blonde before... And Sam is Charlie. Obviously, he doesn't right. know that, so... You haven't changed a bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm now a brunette. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Go ahead. I was going to say that uh, uh, we get Al's mm-hmm. uh, entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, and And it's interesting because, you know, Al doesn't have all the information either. Yes. He says, I jotted this down. At first, he says that he is there... To keep Charlie from marrying Naomi, because apparently that's what happened in the original history. And, and they, they have were, a miserable life. And they were just miserable. This is not off the top of my head. Excuse me. This happened into a, in, in a previous episode where he's just there to keep Sam from marrying the person. Oh, Starcrossed, mm-hmm. the, the second episode. Right. That That's just the thing that time travelers do. Just keep from getting... Don't marry the wrong person to be hey, miserable. You know, the rest I of mean, life. I was gonna say when you think about it, like Quantum Leap has taught us nothing, which it has taught us many things. But one of those things is the only things that really matter in life are getting married, dying, or a job, because that's really all Sam does. He's either there to prevent someone from dying, prevent someone, or get someone to get married, or get someone a job. I mean, that's really about it. I can't. I can't argue with that. <laughs> so I'm just saying, those are the big three. You those know? are the big three. So Work, yeah. marriage, and death. Yeah. yeah. There we go. The Life in a nutshell. The quantum leap saga. There we go. So he's there to stop Charlie from marrying Naomi, and also we get a change in here where Al is very. Uh, oh, he, he he is not fond. He is not fond of the farm life. Yeah. It's like, why couldn't you get into Vegas? Yeah. Why Why can't you leap into Vegas? Uh, because leaping into Vegas would require them actually shooting in Vegas, probably. 
right? Maybe. I don't know. Which uh, we do get a, a not necessarily my Al line of the week. Not that I have one every week, but we do get a moment where Al is quite Al when he looks at Naomi and says, "Well, she would fit in in Vegas." <laughs> <laughs> and that's a pretty tame Al line, actually. It, it for, is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so. This is the plan. He says that there's a 97% chance until uh, the sheriff vehicle pulls, pulls up. Because up, the yeah. scene that we've, we've skipped over on this is that, meanwhile, back in town, yeah. the, the sheriff has uh, stumbled upon Machiko. Machiko yeah. like, explains her story. Like, I, I, I married him. I've been left behind. We're introduced to, to Rusty. Rusty, yeah. And this one, because every, everybody's giving her kind of curious looks, but right. then Rusty gets the creepy mean eyes. Just, yeah. just the mean, creepy eyes, and he just follows her down the sidewalk. And it's hard not to immediately, which this is interesting for reasons we'll get to at the end, it's hard not to immediately think of Color of Truth. Um, in this instance, with the way that people are reacting to Machiko, um, not that it's the same thing, but that just the small town, the, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the person not quite accepted in their surroundings. Well, the thing is, it's like all, uh, from what I recall, like watching this episode last night and this morning, like almost all of the characters aren't looking at her like in a, in a angry why are you here? Way right. it's kind of like like this curious amusement of oh oh there, oh you're at a place. The only uh, throughout this episode, the only character that, that that really shows Machiko animosity from a racist standpoint is Rusty. Is Rusty? Yeah. Lenore has her issues, but they come from a different place, which we find out towards the end. Right. And Naomi, Naomi has yeah. her issues, and they're obvious. But Rusty is the only, like, flat-out racist that we meet in this episode. I would, I would argue, though... No, I, I, don't, I wouldn't argue anything you just said. I, 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 think, I think you're absolutely right. But I would argue that some of the looks that she does get in that opening scene when she's walking through town by herself are similar enough to the looks of sort of shock and curiosity that Sam gets when he sits down at the counter the first time, just in the leap in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's just that sort of sense of like, what are you doing here? Who are you? Why are you here? You know, and it it is interesting. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting to think that like, you know, we're eight years removed from the end of World War II. Almost eight years exactly, actually, because it was was like August 6th, 1945 or something like that, I think was when, you know, VJ Day was Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, so, so yeah, so it's, it, it is just interesting to kind of compare and contrast the episodes. Uh, unfair, perhaps, in some ways, um, but interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So anyway, so the sheriff has picked up Machiko, brought Machiko out to the farm, and this is why I love where, whereas the, the vehicle is pulling up, Al looks over and he goes, but there is always that 3% of something, that margin of error, and sure enough, Machiko pulls up, and in short, she reveals that she is Charlie's wife. And I love this moment where where Al says, "Don't you want to say something?" And it's so right. just like surprise. surprise! <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, you know, one of the things that I can't help but feel already in this episode, Sam doesn't feel. 
it feels like this episode is happening to Sam. As opposed to previous episodes where it feels like Sam is happening to his surroundings. Mm. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yes. And, and whereas, it's a little weird. Yeah, whereas, and, uh, yeah, I was thinking about this earlier, where to go back and compare it with Color of Truth, he, from the get-go, he gets uh, very, very worked up, and he gets yes. very angry over way people are treating... Jesse, and by extension, black people in right. general. And Jesse's niece. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this episode, uh, where he gets more vocal towards the end, and when there are incidents that happens with Lenore that will come up on, instead of immediately jumping on Lenore, it's all about making Machiko feel better in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed, yes. So, like, he, he's reacting to it. He's trying to protect her feelings. And he is not, you know, like you, yeah. like you were saying, like, he's not happening to the episode. Like, he is not getting up in Lenore's face and being like, why are you being this way? This is what needs to happen. Right. He doesn't feel like the crusader here. He doesn't feel like the, you know, like Don Quixote. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, he feels, he feels a little bit more like, um, yeah, just someone who's like, these are these are things that are happening to him, are happening while he's around, mm-hmm. um, and I think that carries out through almost the entire episode, mm-hmm. kind of like what you were just saying. Yeah, and if you want to read into it, you could say that since he is very much like back in his home mm-hmm. environment, where he mm-hmm. remembers growing up in Indiana, maybe he is a little bit more understanding and deferential. Um, yeah, well, and it, he is surrounded by an interesting crew, you know, of characters, but they, but, but everyone feels very stereotypical, you know, you've got the angry mom because of the past family tragedy, you've got the goofy accepting father who's just bumbling his way through, you know, you've got the, the harlot who is trying to, you know, woo him over, you've got the, 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 the perfect, you know, pretty much domesticated woman who was his wife. You've got, you know, the bigot who wants to cause trouble. Like, everyone just feels very stereotypical. Mm-hmm. They don't step very much outside of those no. those roles that you just listed off. Yeah. So, anyway, so in this first scene, Al now has more information. He apologizes. Right. That Ziggy <laughs> did dig deep enough that in the original history, Machiko returned to Japan in shame because she was never accepted by the family, and she never... Married again. Right. After that. And it ended up leading to the failed marriage between Charlie and Naomi. Mm -hmm. So, that is what Sam is there to do. So, during the scene, um, Machiko is trying to present uh, Lenore and Henry with these gifts because this is is very much the custom. And this is something we were talking about off mic. I started to look into and dig into it. Like I was trying to figure out like the the customs that they that they talk about. How how many of these customs that they presented were accurate and and how many weren't and then it's just just going down the rabbit hole of the of the internet yeah yeah it, it, i wasn't able to get a lock on on what was accurate and what was not but realistically for for an hour of television fairly i i would say that like they did a i guess a fairly uh for the casual view, viewer, probably like representing what were what were customs. Sure, sure. Well, we should mention real quick that uh, Machiko is played by uh, Leela Lee Olson, although she's credited in this episode as Leela He Olson. Um, she, you know, oddly enough, 
it looks like the last thing that she appeared in was an episode of Lois and Clark, um, which is kind of funny. Interesting. All things considered. Um, but yeah, she did a few films and television programs here and there, um, and uh, had actually, looks like, starred in a, a television show called uh, What a Country um, prior to Quantum Leap. But I, I don't know much else about her, unfortunately, because it's pretty uh, thin, you know, her, her bio and stuff and info on IMDb and other things mm-hmm. that I can find. So. I wonder if she is an actor who she had another career overseas and she made her way over to the United States or could be or otherwise I, you know I don't know though because it's I, I get the Olsen the, the funny thing is, is that some of her early credits she's she's just uh, credited as Leela He which makes me wonder if Olsen was she married someone okay and that was their last name so maybe she did I don't know I don't know I, I like I said unfortunately there's just really not a lot out there about her so I don't know much about her but I mean she's she's very good in the role, you know, mm-hmm. she really is. I think that, you know, honestly, out of, out of all of the the supporting characters, she's the one that gets the most uh, depth and, and range. I mean, she know? is. I mean, she's someone like throughout the episode. She, the way she is treated throughout the episode, but she also gets some of of the best lines. Yeah, you know, in the episode of just like. Recognizing her situation, but also like being able to to make a joke or a, or an observation about it. Right. Well, and I, you know, I, I would almost say that she, the story that she's given, is a bit paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know sometimes, cause like we've spoken before, even within the context of Quantum Leap, about how some things that you know when they're first done. It's like, oh, wow, that's, you know, but 50 years later, we look back on it and we're like, wow, that feels cliched or hackneyed or whatever. I'm not saying that in that this, you know, in that way for this episode. I'm saying that as in, like, even by 1989 standards, her story is still kind of paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, the foreign wife of the guy home from war, and she's not accepted, but, you know, she shows grace, grace and compassion and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and has wisdom or blah, blah, blah. Like, even in spite of it being that way, she still the actor I think does a, does a great job with you know the role, mm-hmm. um, and it probably helps that you know most of her stuff is is with Scott Bakula and you know and that's what I feel. I the the best scenes in this episode are are, are just like her and Scott Bakula yeah. yeah yeah with with one another, which how interesting is it in a way if you think about it for Scott Bakula as Sam that he. Because he is the, the, you know, the rock, if you will, the standard of the show in so much as he's the one that interacts with everyone else. I mean, obviously you got Dean Stockwell, but Scott Bakula is really the one that interacts with anyone else who comes in. And it's almost the opposite for the TV show, you know, whereas Sam, the character, is leaping into a situation not knowing what the hell is going on and having to acclimate himself to this. The flip side of that is, in reality, Scott Bakula, the actor, is the one who knows the show, knows the production, knows what goes into an episode, knows what... And all the other guest actors that are coming in have to kind of acclimate themselves to the production of the episode. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's just, uh, anyway. That's, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. So, so we have the... Yeah, so we have this uh, first scene, speaking of, uh, between Sam and Machiko, like, she has excused herself because... 
I can't count all the ways that Lenore has been horrible oh, and just God. in this first scene. She and, calls and that, the kimono a bathrobe, mm-hmm. and yeah, just just, just and all these. Very poor not only just what she says to her face, but there's a moment where. Uh, Henry takes Bachko over and he makes a comment like, I'm, I'm going to show you a bunch of bare-bottom photos of of Charlie when he was younger. And they're off looking at one thing and Lador pulls Sam off to the side like, how could you do this yeah. to me? Yeah. Such a narcissistic line. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to come back to that later on. Um, yes. But, I, but yeah, I, I have a feeling that, yeah, yes. But, but, <laughs> Sam, but Sam is all about, this is not something that I, that I did to you. I... I I, I fell in love with this woman and I married her and you need to accept that. Yep. Basically. But then uh, after this, Machiko is, is out on the steps. She's kind of recovering from this, you know, from this scene and uh, Sam tells her how it is in America and he gives, oh. he, he gives a somewhat <sighs> naive uh, well, especially re- by 1954 standards. Yes, yeah. Especially by 1954 standards, and I would say eh, maybe by, by, by present standards. He, hey. he, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, we could certainly we could certainly sit here all day and say, like, oh, things are better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Yeah, also, I you mean, know, for posterity, I mean, if you're listening to this, like, way later, like, we are recording this episode, like, uh, while the, the Me Too movement, to put a shorthand on it, is also happening in our culture right now. Right. So, which, to be fair, let mm-hmm. us also be clear that while the vast majority of the Me Too movement are women, that that does not mean that there aren't men. Oh no 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 who no! Are saying Me Too as well, and have every right to and should be. Oh, absolutely! It, it does indeed go both ways. It's just that it has been for such a long time acceptable for it to go a certain way. That are not acceptable. That's the wrong way to put it. It is it's, just silently condoned. Maybe, yes, that's you know? a good way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that that provides the context of why, especially watching the scene with with Sam explaining like how men and women are equal in America. So 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 they have equal uh, rights. They have yeah. equal rights. Yeah. It's it's a little bit it's a little bit naive and. And it's funny because I think that, again, in the context of 1954, he talks about how a wife isn't a servant and a wife doesn't have to do you know, this or this. But the thing is that you show me one television program, for example, from 1954 that doesn't have the wife doing the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry, that you know what I mean? Like, in, in all respects, even by 1954 standards... There was an accepted or a silently condoned, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, standard of what a wife was supposed to be, and that's what she was supposed to be. She has the baby, she cooks, she cleans, she does, you know what I mean? And the man goes off to work, and then he comes home, and he sits in his easy chair, smokes his pipe, and watches TV, or reads the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's how everybody was. I'm not saying that's even how we wanted to hold the ideal up to. But there, by no means, in 1954 were men and women looked upon by general society in the United States of America as being equal. Yes. So it is kind of yes. interesting that that's how he... And I even remarked to Jess when we were watching the episode, I was like, 1954? I mean, like, at least not for another ten years, and even then, like, yeah, it's a stretch, that, that's, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we have this great line where, you know, he, he explained the difference, like, you know, how, you know, the difference between men and women in America and the difference between men and women in, in uh, 
in Japan. Right. And I can't remember the exact setup, but uh, Machiko has a great line. I think all men in Japan must be retired. Yeah. So. Which is interesting to me because I think that that's... I do think that that's a slight misconception. Um, you know, I think that there is definitely a, 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 a certain male dominance at a certain level in, in, in Japanese culture and society and at that time, you know, mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s. But as someone who, um, you know, appreciates film, and, and even right now I'm looking over and I'm, you know, I'm seeing films like Tokyo Story on my DVD rack or whatever, that... Um, Ozu, who's a uh, Japanese filmmaker, started in the 20s, worked all the way through into like the early 60s, uh, explored a lot of those dynamics of family and, and um, you know, sexuality through his films. And even though there is definitely a, 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 a paradigm of power that exists, um, I don't know that I would say that women in Japan were treated as less than to the degree that, you know, Machiko is saying here to Sam. Mm. Especially because in a lot of ways, you know, women of a certain age in particular were often revered and considered kind of the head of the household. Mm-hmm. Um, now, younger women, yes, younger women were seen as, you know, you need to be married by a certain age and you need to you know, do these things. That's that's the way society goes. I don't think it was much different here in the United States. But I, I do think that it... It's just... It seems a little cliched to, to just be like, oh, well, in, in our society, women were treated this way. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, eh, okay, whatever. Yeah. I don't have a lot of love for the writer, to be honest. Okay, gotcha. Uh, speaking of how women are treated, we should jump back. We jumped over a big detail in the first scene, but we learned that there's another... Uh, there's another character, Eileen... Who was Lenore and Henry's daughter and Charlie's sister? Sister, and we don't get the details just yet. But she died. They say just over a year ago. Which and Charlie's been gone for two years. So it's it's interesting that while I'm sure that you know they they, they contacted Charlie by whatever means and then they broke the news to him and Charlie has had time to process it. It is interesting that this is the first time that Charlie is home. Yeah. Since. Uh, since his sister has died. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I think, come back to that a little bit later, but one thing I'll also say uh, that Henry, the father, has offered up Eileen's room for Machiko because they don't want then Charlie and to be in the same Mashiko room until, bed they, until, until they get married, married proper. Yeah. yeah. Which that's the other thing. Married proper? Like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, come on. They were married. Mm-hmm. They, they are married. Like, just because they're not married in front of, you know, your church. Yeah. Like, I mean, you uh, know, I, I also kind of took it as a, as a bit of a delay tactic on Lenore's part to, to see if there's a way of course. To, to nullify this before they ever get to sharing a bedroom together. But because of the way that it's treated in the episode, because Sam doesn't have a strong reaction to it, because there's no counterpoint to it, I just feel like it's like the... It, it it plays into like all those like tropes of like the you know the um, the civilized savage or what you know what I mean like the idea that like oh in, in a western like the guy marries the Indian wife and you know but she's different because she's a savage and because she you know it just I just I, I just don't I just don't like it I don't like that there's not a counterpoint to it I don't like that Sam doesn't immediately say like we are married 
you know, and doesn't stand up for it. Again, it, it continues that theme of it feels like the episode is happening to Sam instead of Sam happening to the episode, and I don't like it. I mean, yeah, and if you, I don't have, I don't think we have time to like really like dig deep and unpack this, but to bring it to a comparison to The Color of Truth, is the fact that in that episode, like, injustices were happening to him as a man. And in this episode, the injustice is happening to somebody else and as a woman. And so it's, it's a weird, like, like he doesn't feel as strongly to interject. Like but there say, are other episodes, though, mm-hmm. and this is why I blame the writer. Mm-hmm. There are other episodes where Sam does stand up for the other people around him, where Sam does stand up specifically for women, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, even going back to, like, Kamikaze Kid. Yes. You know, so, so, so I can't help but think that, like, that's again. That's why I blame the writer. I'm For just sure. like, I'm just like, dude, you had a golden opportunity to, to really show like Sam being cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And instead, instead, that's why I, it just feels like it, it just. He's I just little, don't like the way that everyone else gets to look at Machiko, and it's it's like okay, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Sam's just like go along to get along. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay that they look at her as being this mm-hmm. when they're speaking Japanese because Sam speaks Japanese, which is mm-hmm. a cool little tidbit. Yeah, the, the given, tidbit. You know, yeah, where uh, he speaks the language, the seven he, he, languages. He speaks seven languages and four dead ones, mm-hmm. as Al points out. Yeah, you know, and they're speaking Japanese, and she's like, "Don't talk that gibberish in my household." Mm-hmm. And Sam doesn't say doesn't he doesn't say it's not gibberish. You know, that's her language. That's you know, I, I respect her enough to communicate to her in her language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. As we start talking about this, I, I, I got issues. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you thought the right hand of God had a sore spot Uh-oh. for me, woo. yeah, you 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 got some issues. <laughs> uh, you know what's, it, what's interesting? It, it, uh, nah, I don't even know. I'm gonna throw this out there, but Do it. I, I don't even buy it now. As, as as I start to throw it out there, is it just occurs to me that to give a, a minor spoiler away, later on in an episode, we do meet Sam, his parents. Yeah, and. Uh, it just occurred to me that the actor who plays, or, or Kay Callan, who plays yeah. Lenore, yeah. and the actor who plays Sam's mom, those two actors live in a similar headspace in my brain. They they do they do look somewhat they do they do look somewhat similar to each other. So I could say that maybe because there is like that 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 physical resemblance between Lenore and Sam's mother, like he's a bit deferential. But even in that episode which we'll come up on, Sam is respectful of his mother, but he is not so deferential that he won't stand up for what he yeah. believes in. I'm thinking of a scene specifically right now about that episode that you're talking about that I could bring up that's like, no, he stands up to her, but but we will digress and not spoil that episode. So yeah, so again, <laughs> put put it on Charlie Coffee for for Sam being so Yeah. Yeah. Uh Milk toast? I don't know if that's the right word. That's that's perfect. Go go along to get along. Yeah. So from there we go. Uh, they're going to go into town because uh, oh, an, another another great line in that scene where they're where they're sitting out uh, on the steps and Sam is comforting Machiko. Uh, Machiko makes the connection that if men and women are equal, then husband's money is wife's money. Yeah. And that they should go shopping. And Buy me clothes. Yeah. And then <laughs> a great moment where Sam makes a line. I can't remember how exactly he says it, but Machiko mishears that. It's like, oh, you're going to teach me to drive? Yeah. And that segues us into the scene of... Well, and the other thing is the Sam doesn't have... Like, 
and this is nitpicking, and I recognize that, but she says the thing about wanting some new clothes so she can look more American, and and needing money from Sam in order to do that, because, you know, husband's money is wife's money, and Sam responds with, yeah, I need some new shirts anyway, as though to say, if I didn't need new shirts, yeah, you, know, you it, wouldn't get your dress. That line jumped out, Ugh. that line jumped out at me as well, yeah, it's, that was a weird line. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Smoke curls yes, out of yes, my ears. <laughs> yes. So we get a... Right-handed God was a masterpiece compared to this one. Damn right. Because uh, nuns deserve that church. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we get this nice little scene uh, by the road where Machiko wants to stop and picks up oh, flowers. Right, she's she's teaching she, her to drive. Yeah, yeah right. she, she slams on the brakes, slams his head into the windshield, uh, but she picks out the flowers and she shakes them out mm-hmm. and Sam's like, oh, is that some ancient Japanese custom. She's like, no, I'm shaking the bugs out. Right. Which is a callback to Which is Lador, the first scene. As 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 much as I have decried some things, it is that is a nice little moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and and there's also she has that wonderful bit of dialogue. And again, it's like I want to praise it, but at the same time it does come off kind of cheesy. But she has that bit of dialogue about the about how uh together all daisies look the same, but when you get up close you know, each one is different in its own way. Mm-hmm. Each one is beautiful. And then Sam has the voiceover about hoping that uh, as much as he wants to Americanize her for Lenore's sake, he hopes that Lenore starts to accept her for her differences. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, okay, thank you for telling me the theme of the episode and using this beautiful little metaphor to do so. I, I, I like it. It works. The rest of it's crap. Whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, really, we, we jumped over uh, an entire scene. Uh, the fact that one night has already passed. Yes, right. Uh, because the thing that sends Machiko out on the steps later on is the fact that Lenore, like, like she tried to cook breakfast, she tried to cook rice, and Lenore threw the rice out. Ah, yeah. oh, Lenore! I know. Tosses the rice out. Like Jess is like, what a bitch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh god. And yeah. then, and then uh, Henry comes in, all excited to try her new tea that she brought from Japan, and like, you know, and Lenore's like, what? Our tea's not good enough for you here. You know? Yes. And that's the thing. It's like what you said earlier about Lenore having her reasons for treating Machiko the way that she does. I won't argue that. I think you're right. Like, clearly, like, she does have that reason. But she's still being pretty freaking racist about it all. It'd be different if she was treating her poorly in some way because it was a... It'd be... If she was pointing something out about her as a woman or as a a daughter-in-law the way she treats Charlie, but because everything that she harps on is because she's Japanese, that's what makes me just want to be like, no, screw you. Yeah, but I will say, on, on, I will say bro- a broader thing in general is that when we don't like someone, we very often jump to, if it's not race or whatever it is, but very often it is race, like, we jump to the one thing that makes them different, and that's, that's the thing that we attack. Yeah, but then doesn't that just make you a bigot? Yes. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it, it's... it's uh, while I will agree that Lenore's character is pretty one-dimensional, Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't strike me as odd that, that even though she has different reasons to not to not warm up to Machiko, the, that, that, that race and the fact that she is Japanese is a... I'm going to put on it's, my uh, my Dr. Gregory house hat for a moment and, okay. and just throw this out there. There are so many better reasons to not like people 
Like, oh, there's just so many reasons to, like, not like people. And, and Lenore could have her, her reasons as twisted as they are. But for her to continually just basically, because she's Japanese, because she's foreign, because mm-hmm. she's bringing something foreign into her house, it's just like... It could. I just feel like it could have been handled better. I really do. I, and, I, and I blame the writer. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Charlie Coffee. Wherever you are, sir, I'm sorry. But come on, man. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. But anyway, <laughs> so we have this, this this nice little scene that kind of wraps up the message of the episode. Uh, next to the roadside, they go into town. They go shopping. We have this nice little moment where. Uh, Sam explains to her that she does not have to walk 10 feet behind him, but they walk side by side. They go into a store. They run into Rusty. Rusty shoulder bumps Sam. They, you know, they, they have an exchange of words. Or I'd say Rusty has some words, and Sam just chooses to ignore and walk away. Then when they come back out from shopping, they have this cute little moment about, you know, much oh, the Yeah, yeah about learning to walk in the hills, and then they see that uh, it's... it's Rusty is obviously Rusty has has written Jap go home painted yeah. Jap go home on the side of their pickup truck. Yeah. And he's got this, you know, when we see a close up of his face, he's got this sick little, you know, smile almost on his face like he's just so proud that he painted that truck. Uh, uh, uh. But another thing that I wanted to point out real quick about Dear Charlie Coffee is uh this is the guy that wrote Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> Alright? This is the guy... This we're is, getting personal. This is the guy that apparently worked on Medusa Dare to be Truthful, which was that parody of Madonna's Truth or Dare movie. Alright. Like, I don't feel so bad anymore for bashing this guy, because... All right. Tear, tear. I don't think he could have written his way out of a paper bag. Tear, tear him apart. Go get him. Dude. I mean... Did he write any other episodes of Quantum no. Leap? No. His only was... episode. All right. His only episode. Uh, and and he apparently he hasn't, he hasn't uh, written anything in, like, 23 years. So All right. There we go. <sighs> so where do we go from there? So uh, they, 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 they walk up. They see this thing written on the side of the truck. Right. Uh, uh, Mach- oh. Machiko's heartbroken. Sam is, yeah. Rusty is, is standing by the building. Being uh, a douche nozzle. Uh, and then uh, Henry, we cut to Henry and Lenore in the uh, car with the Reverend and his wife on their way home from church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get another Sam shirtless scene. Bale and Hay in the uh, bar. Oh, so yes. Uh, in the uh, bar. So yeah, now we. Machiko's yeah. doing some chores. Um, Naomi comes on pretty strong to Sam. Uh, I wouldn't say come on pretty strong, like... Mounts yes. him. Ma- yeah, mounts <laughs> him. She's like, yeah, yes, let's let's yeah. do this. I'm going to... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, they, they basically end up... While they're tussling in the hay, mm. uh, Machiko is doing her chores and she disrobes mm-hmm. um, now one thing that is true whether or not Sam's explanation later is exactly true one thing that is true is that um, you know there is a certain comfortability with with the body and being topless mm-hmm. um, it, you know was customary at a time in, in, in Japan that it would not have been a big deal mm-hmm. for a woman to do something like this um, 
Sam and Naomi fall from their tower of hay. Mm-hmm. Machiko comes in and sees them. Um, well, at this point, because uh, like the car pulls up with the Reverend, right? And the Reverend's wife. It's all kind of. It's, it was kind of like this this farcical, yeah. you know, comedy of errors. Everybody comes in, and there's actually this even this uh, uh, moment before we get to that moment. Al is watching this. Um, oh right! And what it, it just now occurs to me, like usually Al would be like encouraging. Yeah, go for this. it. Like go for it. Whatever. Like yeah, she's hot. Not this but, time. Um, he even has a line. Tell her to put an egg in her shoe and beat it. Yeah. I have never heard that. No. I have never heard that outside anywhere else. I even, yeah, when Jess, I was like, what? What is that? I'm going to chalk that up to to Charlie Coffee. This has become the the Charlie Coffee hate hour. Oh, another thing that uh, I wanted to go back to real quick is that Jess made this comment that I feel like I need to add in about when they're in town and um, uh, they're they're going back to the truck and, uh, or even before the truck, when Rusty bumps into Sam, she's like, what is with all the overalls? And she raises a good point. Like, all the men are, are wearing overalls. They're all. Yeah. yeah at like, one point, uh, <laughs> Henry is wearing overalls and a shirt and tie. Yeah. Yeah. In what? The episode. It just seemed uh, like like a very much a, a shorthand, like, easy for the costume department. Like, yeah. Let's, let's just get some overalls. That'll be easy. Apparently, the uh, put an egg in your shoe and beat it, uh, it, 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 it that is where the beat it, like, get out of here, comes from. The idea is, is if you put an egg in your shoe and beat it, like you're beating an egg, yeah. you'd have to be walking away. So, literally, when you tell somebody to beat it, that's where it came from. Put an egg in your shoe and beat it. Like, make like a tree and leaf. <laughs> I did that just for you. <laughs> There's our Back to the Future. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it preference? make like is a tree a... and get out of here? <laughs> yeah, make like a tree. Ah. Uh. So that, I don't I know if your mind like, is blown or not, but that is that, where that, beat that it comes from. That is the from. shortening, like the beat it. I'm just going to start using that now. Beat it comes from... From put an egg in your shoe and beat it. Yep. I'm just going to start saying that to people. Do and it. Just, and, just, and just see what happens. Yeah, might as well. Uh, but, but anyway, so we, we have the scene where Naomi tries to... Uh, I, I won't even say seduce. Rape. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pretty much. Uh... uh Tried it, tries to to rape Sam slash Charlie, and everybody comes together. And Machiko walks in on Naomi laying on top of Sam because they've they've fallen off one level down onto a lower level. And then we have almost uh, like this Rocky Horror Picture Show moment where all the characters are shouting out everyone's names. Yeah, uh, Charlie, Machiko, Naomi, Reverend Felcher, and then the Earl. and then yeah. Yeah, then the then the Reverend's wife faints, yep. and we get an oh boy. Yeah, and then and then and then Al tells Sam about how when he was stationed in Japan in remote parts of Japan that women in hot weather would do their chores topless or whatever, and, mm-hmm. and Sam relates that and he's like she didn't mean to offend anyone, and the Reverend has the curious line, although the actor doesn't do it in a creepy way, so kudos to him, but he does have the line of oh we're not offended, yeah, as though yeah, like, like yeah. And that's and to to Charlie Coffee's credit, he could have written the scene where where they were deeply offended, sure, and and like they were, or he could have written the scene where the Reverend was creepy, right? And he did get off on it, but the the Reverend instead is just very genuine, and he just like, oh oh oh, we're not offended. It happens, yeah. That was a little bit embarrassing, and I'm sure I'm going to catch hell from my wife on the drive home, but. Or not. Come to really, the picnic. Yeah, yeah, come to the picnic. We want to yeah, see I, you at the picnic. That's that's kind of. 
that's kind of knocking the the reverend's wife because I even like the the reverend's wife in that scene. She was very she yeah she doesn't seem yeah yeah there's she, no, yeah yeah there's no and it's funny See, because that, it, it's so ter- it, it would have been so stereotypical for for her to be that way. I went back and I remembered the scene that way. Yep, exactly. I, I yep, and that's yes. I'm I'm right there with you. The same thing with the reverend's line. Mm-hmm. You know, like like the not offended thing. Like in my head, I see it going that way of just being like, oh, I'm not offended. Yeah, I'm not offended by topless women crossing my eyes. You know. Yeah. But that's not at all what it is. Instead, mm-hmm. it's just like, no, 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 it's okay. We're not offended. You yeah. know. In fact, we want y'all to come to the picnic. And even Betty is in the car. You know, kind of like, yeah, you yeah, know, come to the picnic. You know. So you're right. It, it is handled really well. Uh, unfortunately, Lenore is not so forgiving. She's not. Yeah. How could you? What were you doing? I'm not going to the picnic. And um, she's afraid of being gawked at. Mm -hmm. uh, Much like Eileen. Mm -hmm. And doesn't want to be ostracized in that same way. Mm -hmm. Um, Which we still don't know what exactly happened with Eileen. But we're about to find out. Yeah, we are coming up. And so we have this yet another scene where Naomi tries to get Charlie to... To come around, she shows him like she, the, the yeah. thing on a bench. And it's so interesting to me because she went with the "I'm gonna climb onto this bale of hay and force you to have sex with me," to come over here, sit next to me, look at this thing that we did before you went away, you know, to the navy, and don't you remember how in love we were? And and you know, I was the only person that stood up for your sister that whole time, and she got pregnant, and I still stood up for her, and then, you know, I, I did everything I could to stand by her until she drove that car right off a cliff. And it's just like, how did you go from, like, in my opinion, pulling out, like, the big guns, which is to just be like, take me, Charlie. Yeah. To sitting you down, holding his hand, and being like, I love you, Charlie. Don't you remember? We're in love. And I stood by your sister. It just, it, it feels a little, you went from let's have sex to I stood by your sister before uh, she killed herself. In in defense of Naomi, maybe she figured, like, that's the shorthand that's always worked with women before. Sure, I get it. Just, let, yes. Let's just jump to the sex, and then we'll, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. And we don't know what kind of guy Charlie was. That's very true. So very true. Well, regardless, it still doesn't work. Yeah. And 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 this is and this is another this is another damn you Charlie coffee moment because Sam is like has this moment where it's like almost there because he's like my sister committed suicide and Naomi's like oh well you know sheriff said it was an accident. Of course it wasn't an accident. Yes, she committed suicide because she was pregnant and, you know, they weren't going to accept that in small town America in 1953. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he immediately is just like, I appreciate everything that you did, but I am married now and you have to get over it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what? what am I watching at this point? I'm going a little too far. Don't get me wrong. I, I but, uh, but, but it, it just, I don't know. Well, to to jump back like before that, like we even have the scene where where Naomi tries says like, "Tell me you love her," and we have this like weird awkward yeah. thing. And they do this in some episodes, and I'm never crazy about it. Where they make Sam so literal that he's afraid to say I love this person when he doesn't love the person. Like he can't just speak up and and just say yes, I love this person. Like he has to go out of his way to say. Charlie McKenzie loves, loves Machiko. Machiko. Yeah. Oh, Sam, just get over yourself. Don't take it so damn literally. 
and, and just be the person. Anyway, um, but after that and this scene right here, the fact that Sam just says, leave me alone, that doesn't bug me so much because even though like he just had a big information drop on him, it's still pretty apparent that Naomi is using that for uh, an impure purpose. Like she, oh, she, sure. she's using it yeah. as a tool of manipulation to go, I did this, now you have to love me. Right, don't you get that I stood by your sister when no one else did, and that means that you love me. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so now so, it's over. And so, and Naomi says, well, I guess all there is to be is for me to be your friend, and, and she storms off. Um, and we get to the picnic where somehow Sam has made it there by himself. Naomi and Machiko show up together. And this is the point we talk about, like, the writing of this episode. This is the point when I was watching it. I'm like, how did Sam leave Machiko alone with Naomi and... They've already shown that Machiko well, is, is, is a pretty smart person with a good head on her shoulders. She already has to know that Naomi does not have her best interest at heart. Yes, yes. And, and she clearly knows English well enough to know what fat means. Mm-hmm. And she clearly, Sam, you know... But, but again, Dennis, remember that Charlie Coffey has just written the words <laughs> that Naomi has said... I'm going to be your friend now. So that's really all we need to know. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, but you're right. It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. As Nancy in Stranger Things season two says, it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. Okay. That's all I have to say. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it does. Uh, so yeah, it, it's at this point, I'm just like, oh, they're just kind of all over the place with this yeah. episode. So we have this scene where Naomi gets Machiko to embarrass herself by calling the mayor and the mayor's wife fat. Yep. And... Machiko figures out very quickly that that she's, that she's good. I, I do love after she storms off, the camera lingers on, on the group of people at that table for just a little bit. And the guy playing the mayor, he doesn't have much to do, but he just stares off to, in the space with this look that for what little bit he has, it's, it's just, if you just hone in on him because like it's a pulled out, like it's a yeah. master shot. But if you just hone in on him and the look on his face... He just does like a very funny thing of just like, yeah, I'm <laughs> I, fat. <laughs> She's right. I'm fat. <laughs> no pie at this picnic. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh god. So, so we have another, we we have another scene of of Sam comforting Machiko and wiping off the the, the makeup that, yeah. that that Naomi has has painted on her. And this is the 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 moment because I'm sure that Charlie wrote a line where Sam looked at her and was like, "You look like a painted whore." Yeah. But they decided to cut that line. That would have yeah. been a little too funny. <laughs> that would have been a bit too deep. So, yeah. But there, there it, the the line that does bug me about that Sam written in this episode is like after he wipes off the makeup off and he makes her feel better, he's like, you know, he brushes the hair out of her face and brushes she's like there. There's my pretty girl. That's the line that kind of. That's the line that kind of bugs me. Yeah, right. And and then he follows that up with saying like, "Now come watch me play baseball. That'll mm-hmm. make you feel better." Yeah. What? Yeah. What? No, take her home, you dumbass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that that moment is saved by "Come watch me pay, play baseball," and they cut immediately to Machiko shouting, "Kill the umpire." <laughs> And someone looking at her, I think it's, it's, I think it's Henry. Henry. Yeah, it's Henry. Henry goes, oh, you do. You, you do, do get this yeah, game. Yeah. Baseball. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that is a moment that is saved by uh, 
by the actor who plays Machigo. Yeah, and then um, and Sam has been in the you know in the outfield here and uh, or well I plays second base actually and he makes a really good play mm-hmm. and uh, as he does this though Rusty is like clearly gunning for him mm-hmm. um, but you know it's like what's that guy's problem and that's when we you know we kind of learn that like Rusty really he's a great baseball player blah, blah blah he turns out he's the pitcher Sam gets up to bat Rusty tries to bean him a couple of times mm-hmm. Al's flipping out yeah you know, pop, like, him, pop him pop him, him in the yeah give him a fat lip um and then um but uh, eventually like you know Al gives him coaches him he's like you know okay these two have been the inside this is gonna yeah. be the outside and Sam crushes one which is funny considering Genesis because Jess says to me before he hits the home run, Jess is like, well, we know he can't play baseball <laughs> because of Genesis. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> one, he was, up against, he was up against a pro, and two, he was batting left-handed in that episode. That is, that is true. In this episode, he's batting right-handed. But anyway, so Al he, coaches him like this next one's going to be outside. He knocks it out of the proverbial park. Home run, but then Rusty decides to tackle him. Yeah. And, I, and I love that they didn't do the stereotypical just like Rusty tackles him. I love that that they made it like Sam is smart enough to just like, nope, I see yeah. this coming. Yeah. And let him make a fool of himself. And when Sam asks him why he's doing it, we get the oh, so subtle line. Rusty's I here. hate Japs. <sighs> and, uh, and so we cut from the scene of like people holding them the back respectively and now we get to the to the storm sequence yes yeah so they're they're headed home and there's a storm coming and uh machiko goes down to the storm cellar um and sam and henry are going to take care of the animals lenore gets a phone call in the midst of this storm and someone tells her what happened at the picnic with the mayor and his wife Mm -hmm. lenore storms downstairs no pun intended uh, and berates Machiko for her comments and, you know, basically just reams her out. Mm. And give, well, there's even a moment before, me. like, we did that point, like, Machiko bows, right. bows to her, and Lorna was like, why you do that? To show respect. And, well, what do you know about respect? You said this. And Machiko tries to apologize and bow again, and that's when Lenore, you know, says a horrible thing. Just, like, get out. Like, don't, yeah, don't, don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't even look at me. I never want to see you again. I never want to see, yeah. And, and that's when Machiko... Runs out, storms out, and gets picked up by Rusty. <sighs> what is this episode? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Sam realizes what's happened. Al tells him that, mm-hmm. you know... And another this horrible... Like, they don't even try to make Lenore redeemable in any way. No. Like, if, like, Lenore had said this horrible thing, and then Machiko storms out, and then Lenore had this moment of, oh my god, what did I do? Like, I don't like this person, but I can't send this person, like, out into a storm. Had she, like, run out and, like, tried shouting after Machiko, that would have been one thing. But no, she just lets her go, and when people, uh, when Sam and Henry ask, she's like, oh, she, who knows what people do? Blah, blah, blah. She yeah, yeah. She's probably out running topless out in the storm. Yeah. Uh, so Al helps Sam figure out where she is. She's mm-hmm. obviously with Rusty. Rusty has his his World War II monologue about you know the best years of his lives lives were taken away because yeah. he was supposed to be a ball player and he mm-hmm. was scouted by the Yankees and the Orioles who didn't even exist at the time. But I digress. Mm-hmm. You know he's scouted by all these teams and he's gonna you know 
but that was ripped away from him. Yeah. And then he literally talks about the best years of our lives, the film, mm-hmm. um, and the character losing an arm, and he pulls yeah. out a knife, and he implies he's going to literally cut Magic's arm. arm off. Yeah, and, and he gets it wrong. Like, the character, and, like, I knew nothing about this movie until I, until I looked it up. Like, yeah. there is a character in that movie, The Best Years of Our Lives, which are about three World War II vets who are coming home, and they're readjusting to small-town life yeah. and we were talking about this off mic and you know you, you have a copy of the movie sitting around here you just haven't watched it yeah. yet but it, it treats returning veterans coming home from World War II in a more realistic way than, than a lot of movies of the time did and there is one character in the movie uh, who in real life the actor did not have hands he had mm-hmm. hooks for hands and that's the character that, that Rusty is Alluding to, yeah. Referencing well, that. And uh, one of the things, too, that is, is interesting to think about the movie is that the movie was released in 1946. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, this is like right after the war is over. And the fact that Hollywood is willing to tackle this subject matter and do it in the way that they did and um, with the actors that were involved, because it was, it was a pretty, you know, I mean, Dana Andrews, Myrna Loy, Frederick March, Virginia Mayo, I mean, it's pretty big cast, ended up winning seven Academy Awards. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big deal film in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, the fact that a hack like Charlie Coffee gets to reference it in his little teleplay is, is <laughs> fine. It's fine. <laughs> but Rusty, yeah, Rusty has his monologue. He's going to cut off her arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam shows and this up. Is, and this thing, it's like, in this little fight scene here that we, we, that we do, Rusty is a dark human being. Like, first he attacks Sam with an axe. Yeah. Uh, then a pipe, you know, that, that is what it is. Tries to sand his face off. Yeah. Uh, and in all this, like, he has thrown some... I don't know if it's rocks or nuts. We're talking about. I think, yeah, I think they're like big industrial size yeah. nuts or whatever. And yeah. uh, and you were talking about off mic how awkward it looks. Like you don't exactly see what happens to Machiko. I think it was just very awkwardly shot. You know, they're yeah. probably shooting in a hurry and just had to. Because you have get to ask, like, did she could. get hit by it by the the metal thing he's throwing through the window, or is it the glass that cuts her? Or is that what? Yeah, what is it? I I, don't I, I assume that he had thrown it well enough that yes. that it got through the windshield because he's a pitcher, right? That it got through the windshield and it, the the actual whatever he threw actually got her yeah. and actually got her in the head. Right. But also in the, in the real quick shot that we get, uh, we we get the shot that sometimes happens. It happened in. The Incredible Hulk, to reference uh, last week's episode, right, right. is uh, in the pilot of the of the episode of The Incredible Hulk. Like the Hulk shatters a windshield, and it shatters like regular glass, mm. just like the windshield in in this scene. Right, right, right. It shatters like regular glass instead of the spider web that. Yeah. Although, you know, I do wonder, and I honestly don't know, I wonder if... In 1950s? Yeah, it wouldn't have been safety glass, because I don't think safety glass came along until a little bit later. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. I'm not going to do that research. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so they they have a fight. Sam ends up knocking Rusty out. Uh, I should mention also horrible people in this episode. Naomi disappears from this episode yeah. entirely. We don't see her again. At the end of the picnic. And we never see what happens to Rusty. We don't know if he's in jail. We don't know if he's, you know... I mean, you assume... You assume Rusty's going to go to jail. Hopefully. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe not. In a small town, maybe he just he just learned his lesson. But Al is is, is yelling at Sam, you know, Magico's dying. Yeah, yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. so he takes her to the hospital. 
Uh, they're all waiting outside trying to figure out what's going on. Sam comes out and is like, you know, I think she's going to make it. I think she's going to be okay. And then Lenore has... Well, the, the, this gets set up because Henry says we've been praying for her. And Sam takes oh, that yeah. opportunity to turn Lenore and says, have, have you? you? Yeah, and she's like, I'm a good Christian woman. And, and, and Sam's trying to get her to go in there to be there for, for Machiko to give her some support. And she won't do it. And then she has the moment that I'm sure is supposed to make us as the viewers break down and be like, oh, Lenora, I get your pain and I know where you're coming from. And all I can think is she's talking about her daughter who committed suicide. I don't care. Uh, Not that I don't care about her daughter who committed suicide. I care very deeply for her because I imagine she didn't have it easy. I don't care about Lenore. You know, that's the thing, just, just thinking about it uh, right now, I only care about Lenore in this scene because of Martha Kent <laughs> and other things that I have seen that actor in. Well, Kay Callen, Kay, Kay Callen, I feel for, but they have given, they have given Lenore no reason to be sympathetic or they, they've made her not sympathetic at all. When I was 21 years old, I was working with a guy who lives in Chicago now, still one of my best friends. He's a, he was a groomsman in the wedding. Uh, he's, he's directed me before he's written stuff for me before we've, you know, we've palled around and acted together, et cetera, et cetera. And he told me when I was 21, he's a few years older than I am. Uh, and he was going to school as a playwright and he said, uh, I was working on a show that was not very good and, uh, I was trying to figure out what I could do to make it better. And he looks at me and he says, Sam, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kay Callen, but if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. And I just don't care. I just don't care. I think it's so, it's just so poorly written. It is a very soap opera moment. Like, down to how they have her, like, go off Turn her back side, to the window with the storm look, coming and down. And she's looking at a thing, and uh, that's not necessarily Charlie Coffey's fault. That would be... Gilbert Shelton? Gil- Gilbert Shelton. But he handled Disco Inferno with such a plum. Yes, I have to believe Yes. <laughs> so, uh... But anyway, so... Her her reason is that she was never able to do all of these things for Eileen. She was right. not able to be for her at the end, and I'm sure. When she, I went into her room, she was already gone. And as I, I told her all these things, she was she was she yeah. never heard them. And I'm sure she was not mother of a mother of the year leading up to the events that caused Eileen to to drive off a bridge. And of course, no, because as Naomi tells yeah. us, no one was there for her except mm-hmm. for Naomi. And if Naomi's your only friend. Like holy shit! Yes, and of course they had to 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 just to just nail it over your head, and they had to make it the same hospital room. Right. Yeah, the same room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so in that Eileen says, "I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't." She leaves, and then Henry, as if we need explanation, mm-hmm. says that he's not that she's not angry at Machiko. She's angry because she couldn't do anything to stop Eileen's death. Thanks for putting a bow on it, Hank. Hey. And then um, days later, Machiko is fully recovered, and she and mm-hmm. Sam are going to. Well, she's she, she at least covered up, like we talked about off mic. Like she no. has bangs, so she whatever. Yeah, like Sam. I was has, actually just reading that from the wiki. That's what. The oh, wiki days says. later. Yeah. So so yeah, and so Sam has a little bump on his head. There is uh, to bring it around to to a more positive thing about this episode. There is a moment in this scene where. Uh, once Sam is worried about... Oh, what hap- I, yeah, it's my yeah. favorite scene of the whole yeah. episode. Yeah, what what what, hap- what happens if he gets married? Like, will he be married in the eyes of yeah. God? And again, Sam, stop being so damn 
literal. But it does lead to one of my favorite moments. Yes. Because Alvin says... Go ahead. Uh, yeah. No, go ahead and say it, yeah. Because Al is basically like, you know, oh, God, you weren't nervous the last time. Or when Sam, say, Al, Sam says, I'm sweating. Yeah. And, and Al says, yeah, you didn't sweat the first time. And, and Sam's like, I'm married? And Al's like, no, of course not. And then there's this look on Al's yes. face. Yes, yes. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I went, that's interesting. I went back and I watched that moment like three times because he has like three distinct looks on his face in that moment. And the last one... Yes. Yeah. And it's just there's sort of like, the, there's, man. Just, there's this look like, ah, uh, uh, that was close. I shouldn't have. Well, and it starts to reinforce what we were talking about with Disco Inferno, that somewhere, whether it was Belisario, Pratt, the writers in general, whatever the case may have been, somebody had, I truly do believe that somebody had, had at least a thumbnail sketch of of Sam's background mm. and Sam's story and Sam's like how did we get here you know and where are we going to go and I'm not talking about some grand arc like Babylon Five or the X Files or whatever mm. but but there was enough enough to say hey every once in a while we could do something like this mm. or we could add this in or this is who Sam is this is where he came from you know that that Bible that series Bible if you will existed and it had enough information that yeah that they were they were they're giving us something that you never. Again, if we watch that, if that episode aired for the first time in 2017, there would be a million message boards out there talking about Al's expression on his face. But because it aired in 1989, it was probably just largely forgotten and missed. But now that we're watching it here almost 30 years later, it's like, oh, shit. How about that? Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah. So. I mean, that's the thing to go back. I think we're talking about this last episode, like. Quantum Leap wasn't a show like The X-Files or, right. or like even Twin Peaks, which ran sure. at a similar time that, mm-hmm. that that didn't necessarily have the mythology attached to it. I think it could have, if Donald Belisario had trusted viewers more... Sure. They could have. Yeah. Well, there are, and, and as we, you know, again, as we go through the series, I think we'll certainly be able to identify certain moments like this and certain episodes like Disco Inferno, for instance, or Starcrossed, or, you know, whatnot, that feel kind of like, you know, not to belabor a point or a phrase, an arc episode, mm-hmm. you know, that feel important to the overall mythology of the series. Um, and there are, and they, those, they exist without a doubt. Um, and this is, this is, we get, we get, we get, these 10 seconds in an otherwise shitstorm of an episode <laughs> uh, that, that make you kind of go, huh? And I, and again, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it's not a terrible episode. It's just, it's sometimes the worst thing isn't to watch something that's absolute crap and you know it's crap. Mm-hmm. It's to watch something that you can identify what's wrong and what could make it better if they yeah. just changed a couple of things. Mm-hmm. That's even harder to do than to watch something that's just shit. Yeah. And speaking of change... Yes. <laughs> so where the episode ends is Machiko... Has come down the aisle. Has come down the aisle. Does Henry walk her down the aisle? She walked down herself. I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember either, honestly. I mean, it would have been awkward for the father of the groom... Right. To... To walk her down the aisle. To do it, but absent any other family member. Right. And now, I, I think she just walked her... She just walked herself down the aisle um, but anyway so she gets up to the aisle and she's like I wish your mom would have been here and Sam said I wish so too maybe she'll come around so on and so forth because it kind of Sam leaping kind of hinges on Lenore, Lenore accepting Lenore Magico, coming yeah. around 
And so the back door of the sanctuary opens. and Lenore is bathed in light like a creature descending from heaven in her kimono that Machiko gave her. She walks in looking all, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, apologetic, if you will. Mm. Uh, remorseful. Um, there's a word that exists that I'm not thinking of that I would love to be able to use right now, but it's not going to come out. And anyway, she gives her a little bow to Machiko, showing her respect for her. Uh, Machiko reciprocates. Sam smiles, and thank God he's He out. leaves. And to hang it on the character and not the writer, how narcissistic do you have to be to show up in the middle of the ceremony and make it about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now she certainly does that. I, I mean, I, I, I get it. It's an hour of television, especially in this time frame. There's, there's not, there's not a lot of room to be subtle with the storytelling. Sure, but one of the things Jessica and I were even talking about last night because we watched the episode last night. One of the things that we were talking about is that. If we had gotten any sort of sympathetic moments before, Leading up, yeah, before her, you know, divulging her guilt over Eileen in the hospital, before her, you know, grandstanding at the wedding, had we gotten anything before that, it would have been so much more acceptable, so much easier to feel emotionally involved. But because she's just played as a horrible human being from the get go, like even when she's with Naomi, she's kind of you know, being cold and, and, and just, Mm -hmm. you know, treating Naomi like she's the town whore and, you know, and stupid to boot because she brought the wrong flowers and like Mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff. And it's like, have we just gotten a sense of someone who genuinely missed, you know, her son and, 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 and was grieving over the loss of her daughter? Had we gotten a sense enough of that, had it not been kept as this big mystery for so damn long for no good reason, maybe, maybe I would have been able to buy her monologue at the hospital. Maybe I wouldn't feel like your feeling where she walks in and it's just sort of like, you, you couldn't have done that before. You could, clearly you were there when Machiko entered because you're entering right after she is. Like you couldn't have stopped her outside the church and been, you know, and given her the bow there mm-hmm. and then entered in before Machiko taking your seat down next to your husband and then let the bride have her moment. I, I'm with you on this. Mm-hmm. And don't give me any arguments about dramatic tension or anything like that. Like, come on. <laughs> could have easily been done another way. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like this episode. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound I mean, like the, it, is, but like, I really I don't, am. I, I don't hate the episode. Like, going in, into rewatching this, because I don't think I've actually rewatched this episode in quite a while, it's like, I just had a memory, it's like, eh, it's an okay episode, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. Um, my memories were definitely fonder of it than my reaction to this. And then, uh, yes, and then we got into it. So anyway, so we get to the, to the leap out, and this is what we talked about earlier, how with both the DVDs and the Blu-rays... Uh, they they just do a straight dump of however it originally aired. Yeah, yeah which is and awesome. So, so we leap into an episode we've already seen, The Color of Truth. He's Jesse Tyler. Sam, Sam leaping into Jesse Tyler. I have a feeling, just a guess, because I haven't rewatched a lot of these episodes on Blu-ray yet, I have a feeling he's going to end up as Jesse Tyler a lot <laughs> throughout the second season. Because I feel yeah. like, because Color Truth was like their like their keynote 
episode from the first season. Um, critically acclaimed. Absolutely. Had, had a big hand in it getting renewed for a second season. So I have a feeling during the second season they re-aired that episode whenever they, they had a break from a new episode. Yeah. Fairly often. So it'll be interesting to see how many more times we end up with well, the color of truth. You know, and it is, it, it, not only obviously did we, but it was, it was indeed actually repeated the next week. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. When the, in the initial airing, um, which is, which is interesting to think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting to think how many times they re-edited the leap out of repeat episodes airing like this, you know, into the next episode. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I find it interesting that like for reruns and for syndication, like how often they went in and like just like re-edited an episode. Yeah. And now that I think about it, it's like, oh, that that's actually putting a lot of work in that they didn't have to do. Well, maybe it was, and I don't know, but maybe because the effect was something that was kind of dialed in in a way. Like once they got to season two, they could just go leap out, blue screen, bam, new one in. Could very easily. It was probably fairly easy to get into. Um, I mean, it was still work, clearly, but... Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I will say at the... When the DVDs were initially released and I realized that they did not fix it, like they just like dump, you know, they just put it on the DVDs, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever, it did bug me because I was nerdy enough when I was a kid when they started rerunning the series on the USA Network and I realized that they were going to be showing the series in order. Yeah. Uh... I watched well, I watched it through the first time, and then I think the second time they started rerunning the series, I got the idea mm-hmm. that I wanted to edit I wanted to edit it in such a way, like just in recording it off TV, yeah, so that every cassette tape that I recorded on was actually one long episode. So in other words, the leap out went into the leap in at the beginning of the next episode. Yeah, nice. And I did nice. so much like the beginning of every cassette had the actual saga sale. Wow. And, had, and had the actual opening credits. Yeah. But then after that, yeah, it was always edited in such a way so that Man. it just it just leaped into the next episode. No saga cell, no opening credits. You did just some episode work. proper. I did that. I did that by myself initially because when they started rerunning the episode at that time, uh, my school district was on strike. Oh. And was actually on strike for almost two months. Wow. So I did it myself during that time, uh, because at that time USA was rerunning Quantum Leap in the mornings. Yep, I like remember ten o'clock that. in the morning. Yeah. So I did it myself, and then when school started back up, I got my mom to do it. Okay. For me, do you- she would actually sit and do that stupid editing, and she would actually sit and watch the episode, and. Oh and, my God. and edit out the commercials. Oh. And, and to go and to go on a bit of uh, a tangent to tell a story about my mom who passed away in 2008. Okay. Uh, uh, I guess this would have been about a year or a few months before she passed away. Uh, I didn't have cable. Um, the uh, Comedy Central did a roast of William Shatner mm-hmm. that I really wanted to see. Two episodes in a row we talk about the Comedy Central right, roast. Comedy yeah. Central roast. But I really wanted to see it. it but, but, but I didn't have cable, but my mom did. Okay. So I asked my mom to just record that for me, and then I would get the tape from her whenever the next time I visited, because I live in Chicago and she lived in Southern Illinois. And so the next time I came down, um, I asked her if she recorded that for me, and she hands me the video cassette, 
And she was like, I just want you to know that the things that these people said were some of the most vile, disgusting things <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I said, I didn't expect you to watch it. Do you actually watch it? And she said, well, I had to edit the, I had to edit the commercials oh, out for you. Oh, my gosh. Dennis, the story you just told was more emotional than anything that happened in 47 minutes of the Americanization of Pacheco. <laughs> well, there you go. Oh, wow. That's, you know, that's, that, that is very funny because, um, you know, my mom uh, encouraged my love of Quantum Leap. And, and I can remember USA did this thing um, at one time. And this happened, uh, like USA would do this at other shows as well, but they did this thing where they would air an episode in the mornings and then they would air an episode at night and it was in order so that if you missed one of the nighttime episodes, you missed it. Like it wouldn't come back around Mm -hmm. until they started again, but it was just so weird of them to do. And then there was, and then they did it and they changed it so that they aired two episodes at night and it was always late at night. I think Mm -hmm. it was like at 11 and 12 or something like that. So you were watching Quantum Leap until one o'clock in the morning or mm-hmm. something, uh, which I did in high school because I didn't care and I, you know, I'd sleep for six hours and get up and go to school. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, because remembering taping episodes in particular and having those old cassette tapes around, and then Sci-Fi Network would air the show, but Sci-Fi Network would air it in weird ways too, where it wasn't always in order. And sometimes they'd do marathons where they would air episodes, but it would just be like like a best-of marathon. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they would do it where they would have two different orders running. So in other words, like the morning episodes would be in season one and the evening episodes would be in season three. And it was it, it was very strange. And, and Sci-Fi did that with other shows as well. Um, I think TNT even did that with Babylon 5 for a while, where TNT was airing like Babylon 5 in sequence. Uh, like five days a week, but then there was a new episode once a week. So you could like technically be watching it six days a week, but you'd be getting episodes from season one. And then here's one from season five and TV syndication. It's so different now. With streaming with streaming. You just go and you watch anything you want, whenever you want, however many episodes you want, you mm-hmm. know, you know, it's interesting to maybe wrap up, and put a button on it is I've heard many times over that the magic number for syndication for U.S. TV shows is a hundred episodes. Yeah, yep. If you make it to a hundred episodes, like that, that's kind of like the, the benchmark you want to make because then you can run in syndication forever. Yeah. Quantum Leap was ninety-seven episodes. Yeah. So it always makes me wonder, like, if it just made it three more episodes, how much more would we be seeing Quantum Leap in reruns now? Yeah. Because do? you don't. Uh, Ion, I think that that may be the name of the channel. Yeah, I think there's only TV like or, like like know, there's like only one, one smaller channel that really reruns the show right now. Like with streaming, you know, who cares? You can find it, right? Or just buy the Blu-rays, or just, or just buy the Blu-rays. Yeah, you can do that. Except Mill Creek, if you're listening, put some fucking extras on it next time. Uh, they had extras. I'm surly today. I'm sorry. sorry guys. No, no, that's all good. That's all good. <laughs> uh, speaking of. Uh, also new episodes. I just remembered. I after I leave here today, I have a massage because I'm a massage therapist. Uh, and then and then I got to rush home because it's the new episode of Outlander uh, tonight. Uh, by the way, to uh, to give a shout out to uh, some friends of mine. Uh, if you are a fan of Outlander, there's a great Outlander podcast out there called the Podlander Drunk Cast uh, because they they drink as they recap. 
uh, all of the episodes. They are my also, kind of podcast. They they are also based out of Chicago, and uh, you should definitely go check them out. Yeah, uh, that was just an unplanned plug. I think uh, we, you know, as far as Machiko goes, uh, didn't love it. It's fine, whatever. It's it's just it's it's not gonna make my top ten list for season two. Absolutely, but uh, next week. We will be covering what price Gloria, right? Which is interesting to talk about because that's not the leap out that we get. But mm-hmm. the next episode on the docket is indeed what price Gloria. I am, I am, I am looking forward to that one. Me too. Yeah, me too. I have not seen it in a while. I've not watched it recently. Yeah. So same here. So yeah, yeah. it'll be cool to watch it again. That's been one of the fun parts about doing the podcast in general, mm-hmm. other than sitting here with you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you so much for joining us, Project Quantum Leap. We're gonna leap out of here. Take care of yourselves in the meantime. Give us a call. No, don't call us. You don't know. Don't, 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 don't call Facebook us. Facebook us, tweet us, Instagram us. Fates Wide Wheel. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. Can't see, you'll never know How can we 